Hey guys, and welcome to the Movement Docs Podcast. I'm Jake. And I'm Mike. And we're just two guys who want to help students and clinicians grow in the field of rehab. Welcome to the show. We're live. Already. Hey guys, and welcome to episode 29 of the Movement Docs podcast. Today we've got a very special guest, Dr. Jared Boyd. So Dr. Jared Boyd was born and raised in Roanoke, Virginia. He now resides in Frederick, Maryland with his wife. Since high school, he's had a strong interest in the anatomy and physiology of the human body. The ability to use neurological and musculoskeletal systems to influence performance and potential were always intriguing. As a result, Dr. Boyd attended Virginia Commonwealth University, earning a BS in exercise science. He went on to attend school at the country's only dual degree program and Shadowdale University in Winchester, Virginia. Let's go, SU. <laughs> Dr. Boyd had the uh, opportunity to perform top clinical rotations in the University of Tennessee, United States Air Force Academy, and EXOS. It was during those experiences that he developed skills in the realms of sports and the physically active population, eventually earning a master's in athletic training and a doctorate in physical therapy in 2015. As a physical therapist and certified strength and conditioning specialist, Dr. Boyd's goal is to facilitate return to activity and enhance patients' potential by identifying opportunities to improve function and empowering patients with the tools to live better. Dr. Boyd, we are so happy to have you on the show today. I'm happy to be on the show. I appreciate it so much. It's really cool to talk to two people that went to the same grad school you guys are doing big things so it's, it's an honor to be on here i appreciate it <laughs> dude we're just happy to have you man we've been following well i know i've been following your career because you were a third year when i first came in and yeah. uh, so i've been i mean everything from seeing you at gold's gym you know <laughs> just like getting those delt striations to uh <laughs> So like hey, they're looking, they're looking measly right now, man. They're not, they're not looking good. I'm trying to get it back to summertime coming, you know. <laughs> um, and then like, I mean, your research presentations and case presentations and all that in school. Um, and then just being in the the dual program, you were obviously somebody that like, you know, myself and a bunch of other people looked up to, because you you know you're small, the smarts felt looking third year with with them guns up on stage <laughs> talking about like anatomy and getting people better and just being really passionate about like the athletic training and physical therapy fields. And uh, so we're, we're just super excited that you can be on the show with us. No, absolutely. Definitely, man. Shenandoah was a, a good time. You know, I, I loved it. A lot of people were like, oh, man, it's so small there in Winchester. But I, I loved it. I thought it was great. You know, it was, it was good to be in like a little small, uh, small city, small town. Um, we kept you focused, that's for sure. You know, I don't know about y'all, but we, we stayed pretty focused. I mean, you got to, got to go out and party and stuff too, obviously, but um, it allowed you to kind of refocus and, and really hone down on certain concepts that might have been challenging in school. So uh, it was good. I loved it. And it was challenging, obviously, with the dual degree program, uh, which actually is funny. I, I was initially not supposed to do that. So, so I, when I went there, I had an interview with Sherry, actually. Um, and she's like, oh, you know, we have a dual degree program. And I was like, yeah, I saw that, but I missed the deadline to apply because I saw it too late. And she's like, okay, no, you have to apply to it. I'm going to call uh, Denise, uh, who's, for those of you who don't know, she's the, uh, an athletic trainer and she's part of the faculty as well. She's a professor with the athletic training department. And so, um, 
she actually came like 30 minutes later and had a separate interview with her. And they're like, hey, you sound like a pretty good candidate. And that's kind of how it all happened. So it was kind of very informal. But it was great. God, that's yeah, awesome. it is. It really, really is. Yeah. Dude, that's like my my path to the dual program was backwards too. I mean, your yours was a little bit more straightforward. I did the first, I did my first year of PT, and then uh, while I was living with Brad, he like manipulated uh, me a little bit into flying. <laughs> <laughs> Brad has been or, uh, orchestrating my entire career the entire time that I've been in Shenandoah. Um, but he got me to apply after my first year of PT school, and then like that just caused a lot of problems and stuff. But it's all good now. <laughs> I graduated. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good, man. <laughs> but yeah, man, I, I loved it. It was great. And then, you know, it—I mean, it was obviously challenging, but it would have been challenging regardless. So, and I just thought it was a good opportunity to be able to kind of combine the athletic training and the physical therapy together, uh, kind of open up some good doors in the future. And hopefully we'll continue to do that, you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised there are more programs that offer that that type of program. Yeah, I know. I'm not sure why they don't. I, I really, you know, I don't know. And maybe some of it has to do with sometimes how, you know, in the profession, physical therapists can have uh, – this sort of mindset towards or against athletic trainers, just as, you know, acupuncturists can have towards us for dry needling. So, you know, maybe it's things like that. I, I have no idea. It's unfortunate, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what do you, what do you feel like has been most beneficial from having that dual degree? Yeah, that's a good question. I would say the biggest thing is, um, well, I would say two things, you know, one is, Actually, from our program, because I think it was amazing with athletic training in regard to the sports, like therapeutic exercise perspective. Because really in physical therapy school, not just Shenandoah, but for most schools, just from the students that, I, that I've had over the past um, two years, is they don't have a very good grasp on uh, just this fundamental foundational principles of strength and conditioning and progression. And so I think we had a pretty good intro into that. Uh, And then I would also say just seeing some of those very acute injuries. So even though I'm not really on the field right now doing sideline coverage, uh, my clinic, we can still see a lot of, we see a lot of high school athletes. So they come in from uh, from the weekend, from having some type of tournament or competition, and they have an an ankle sprain perhaps, right? And so, yeah, we learn those things. in PT school as well, okay, let's look at Ottawa anchor rules and all that. But um, I think with athletic training, it just makes you that much more able to really give a good assessment and to determine, hey, do I need to have you go pursue some imaging or is this okay for us to kind of treat right here in, in the clinic? Uh, so I think those are the, the really big things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is helpful, right? Because, I mean, that. We, you'll see that in the clinic, so you just got to really be able to discern the the importance or severity of, of what you're assessing. Um, so yeah, those, those are the big things, honestly, yeah. for me at least. You know, it varies. I'm sure for from person to person that has you know, maybe somebody has a, a bachelor's in 
athletic training and they went to PT school and got their BPT, they might have a different experience. But I think for me, it, it helped out in those two facets. <laughs> it definitely uh, gives you a different lens to look at stuff through. And I, I think that like, I mean, one of my big things is the more, I guess, like different hats that you can mm -hmm. wear, or I guess the different perspectives that you can take to like look at the same problem, the more thorough a solution you're going to have. You know what I mean? Like if you just go in with your PT lens and you're looking at some sort of acute injury coming off the field, like just like you're saying, like you may not have all the little details and intricacies and experience and foundational stuff that you would have gotten in like the athletic training program for those type of acute injuries. I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, that's a very good point. And then I think, you know, just like going in because – just having more training in like CSCS and I know that you've got the background in like bodybuilding and lifting and, you know, athletics in general, that mm -hmm. stuff always helps too. It really does. It, it does. Yeah. Cause that, I mean, that's really what, you know, that's, that's one of the most important things I think that we do, at least in the outpatient setting is how do we get patients to habituate or to adapt? Well, we had to apply a, a stress or a stimulus, well, if we understand strength and conditioning or like the said principle or whatever it may be, then we can better, you know, allow that goal to be reached um, just by instilling some of those principles. So, yeah, I think all that kind of helps out and that background is huge. Yeah. You know, you, you mentioned a lot about uh, like just dosing and, and having a, a certain amount of stimulus and all that kind of stuff. and just made me think of, I forget what I was reading, but it was, it was talking about just different um, PT clinics in general and, and how maybe with our exercise prescriptions, we're, we're kind of underdosing mm -hmm. a little bit conservative, maybe not giving them enough of a stimulus. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm just kind of curious, like what your thoughts are on that. And, yeah. And what, what you've seen. I, I love, I, it's so true. Right. It's like, um, <clears throat> I actually just did a presentation on this. It was our first, um, as far as spring seminar that we just had at one of our clinics, um, about a month ago. And, you know, I talked about just stress overall and how do we mitigate stress and maximize fitness or performance. But, you know, a lot of it comes down to, I think, like in general, yeah, we underdose. And so when people leave the clinic, they haven't built this high level capacity or they haven't built a buffer to offset some of the uh, other the influences that the body will go through or other exposures that the body will go to when they're in some type of uh, environment or their, their sport. So if I, if I only focus on quote unquote, like corrective exercises, whatever that means, then like I can, and I mean, and nothing against those. I think, you know, sometimes they're necessary. Um, I like to say people have unmet needs rather than dysfunctions that we need to correct. But um, you're going on a little tangent. Mike, write right that there, down. But, write that down. That's like, we're going to steal that quote. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, but no, so if we only focus on that, right, then, okay, yeah, they can do X, Y, and Z with their shoulder, with their hip, and they can get into this position, and you can do an FMS and SFMA screen, and they look pretty good. But, okay, what, is their, what are their biomotor qualities? What is their strength, speed, power look um, like yeah. on a continuum perspective? What does their capacity look like from an energy system standpoint? And then, you know, if they, if they don't have any of those things, they can't perform well, and then they likely can't mitigate uh, stressors from the 
external and or internal environment, right? Or they're perceive a bigger internal um, stress because they don't feel like they can meet the demands of their activity. Because just because I can externally meet it, even if I do have some of those biomotor qualities, like psychologically, I might feel that I'm underprepared, which is a huge part of injury as well. So it's not just the physical, it's the, it's the psychological component. So we need to start stressing them more towards the later stages of uh, rehab, whether it's post-surgical or um, non-surgical. And I think that'll, that'll help out a lot with kind of offsetting some of the injuries that people tend to get in the future. I know that's a long-winded answer. But I get excited about that stuff. <laughs> so when people come to you in the clinic, like, are you doing specific measures for ESD or, you know, for strength or power? And do you do that across the so, board with everybody? So, yeah, good question. We are actually in the process of developing a more thorough, thorough uh, like, um, I guess, assessment, right, of how do we determine where someone's baseline is when they come in, and then how do we start to implement some of those other strategies to improve um, some of the, the qualities that they need to improve upon. So that's actually what I'm doing a lot of research on right now, because it's not a lot out there uh, in regard to what, what are, like, the, the key performance indicators for their particular sport, where are they on a particular continuum, and then how or where do they need to be and how do we get them there? So I'm really, you know, I, we kind of split things up and I'm really focusing on the conditioning aspect and energy system standpoint. But for a lot of people, really, uh, it's just, you know, basic. Like you can do like a rating of perceived exertion to look at, you know, their um, internal stress and then you can look at their heart rate uh, or you can look at their resting heart rate. You can look at their, their heart rate recovery as well and that stuff will tell you a good bit also and so then from there we honestly we just go up the continuum just like you do if you look at an fms or just a movement um chart or pyramid like where people will say oh we need the mobility then the stability and then the, the functional movement um you know we'll look at okay well we need the aerobic first and then we need the um the the, the lactic and then the alactic, really, because the aerobic needs to be really, really big um, so we can offset some of the byproducts that will accumulate in the body from the other energy systems. Um, so I'll, I'll start with a lot of aerobic-type training, for even for people that are more power-based sport athletes. Because um, if I have a bigger aerobic base, then I can do more um, while using oxygen before I have to tap into the next energy system which a lot of times we know has consequences of inducing fatigue. So we'll do a lot of stuff like uh, sled pushes or different intervals on the salt bike or sled pulls or step ups or even just mini like three round, uh, three round, three stage or um, circuits as well, like med ball tosses and um, like step ups and uh, like, you know, push to base type things on the turf that'll really still be relatively aerobic and you know instead of looking at heart rate you can just say hey what is your how are you perceiving this because that's what a lot of the research shows as well like it's not just looking at the physiological aspect of it it's how do they cognitively appraise the situation how do they feel um, but obviously if you want to get super research heavy when you're doing a study you got to look at some of the other variables that go into it did I, did I answer your question a little bit 
Uh, I think so, but I, I think I have more questions based on what you said. Um, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, so, and that's like across the board. Like, if you take somebody in and you're looking um, to say, you know, say you, you've identified that somebody has a weakness in their aerobic capacity. So everything, regardless of what you're doing, um, from like a you know traditional like PT standpoint. So like maybe they're in for shoulder rehab, but you also identify that they have an aerobic deficit. So are you just doing a bunch of like are you integrating like circuit training and stuff like that as part of your like quote unquote rehab template to work on those systems as well as kind of have more shoulder specific work? Absolutely, yes, uh, definitely. So I will say not for every single patient, you know, but for a majority of them, yeah, we we do that in the clinic, and uh, I think it's important because especially if again our clientele is more like the the high school athlete, we get a lot of college athletes as well um, from the surrounding colleges here, and then a lot of weekend warriors and a lot of um, CrossFitters as well. So people that are just really physically active, they, and they either have some type of injury or ailment that they want to mitigate and improve so they can get back to their prior level of activity, or they're surgical, and they, again, want to get back to back to and or stronger and better than they were before um, their, their uh, capacity. So... If somebody comes in, like you said, with shoulder pain, and we assess that, and we do whatever we do from a shoulder, shoulder perspective. But, yeah, we still need to make sure, okay, your shoulder feels great. But let's say you've had time off, or you haven't been able to allocate a lot of time to, uh, to, to energy system type work, or you haven't been able to run or do sprinting or whatever it may be. And then your shoulder, and it's a lacrosse player or something like that, he has pain with, with uh, throwing or something. Um, and so his shoulder starts feeling better. And now he, we send them back, you know, two weeks later, hey, you're all good, your shoulder's good, you're able to pass X, Y, and Z test. But in that two weeks or two-week period, he, he stopped doing any type of energy system development. And so now there's some other type of injury that transpires because the fact that he has no base, his aerobic system kind of plateaued or, or maybe went downhill from those two weeks. Um, and, and so now I have that fatigue factor. And I know with fatigue, a lot of times I start to move a little different mechanics, start to change. Maybe there's more load on a particular tissue, and then I get discomfort uh, from that if I exceed my capacity and they're back into the clinic with something else and or with the shoulder again. Right? So, yeah, with that, I mean, you know, or it can be people that have persistent pain. Um, it's good research that shows aerobic, just like low steady state, uh, long, slow duration type work is beneficial from that, from that, for them just from like a, a systemic global response that they can get as well. Um, and then like releasing dopamine as well or, or releasing just systemic uh, analgesic effect too. Um, so we, we try to implement it a lot for a lot of people. That's, that's interesting that you bring that up. I have heard that uh, LSD does have a, an analgesic effect yeah, yeah, it does. It, I mean, yeah, it definitely, it definitely does. <laughs> I mean, I was, I was like trying to make a joke about the drug, but no, 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 I got you. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't know too much about that, but yeah, it, the long, slow duration. Yes. Yeah. So kind of kind of going along that same thread, you you mentioned a little bit earlier that 
it's important to have this this big aerobic base um, and you'll work with a lot of people and you said that it kind of carries over a little bit to like power athletes as well yeah for sure I mean it's because everything's a continuum like okay if I'm doing if I am a uh, I mean you could call a, a MMA fighter a power athlete they need a ton of, of power um, you can call a running back, uh, uh, in a sense, right, a power athlete. I mean, you have to be powerful um, to make moves in the cut or to have uh, acceleration. And so with power, yeah, I'm, I'm more so using lactic or really my alactic aerobic system because typically, you know, it's going to be zero to six seconds or so. So once I start to get out of that and I get lactic, then I'm going to have certain uh, byproducts that start to accumulate within the body and pH changes and chemical changes in the body. And so if I don't have a good aerobic base to buffer some of those or to return my uh, pH to, you know, baseline um, and also to help out with replenishing ATP, then I'm going to get burnt. I'm going to get fatigued. I'm not able to produce the same amount of, of power output on subsequent uh, sessions. So, yeah, it's helpful for power athletes as well. And really, because all, all the aerobic system does, it's just the best, it's one of the best ways you can start to recover, like intra-session recovery, really. So if I have a bigger aerobic base, it just helps out that much more. You know, and that's what, that's what you can do on, like, recovery days, too. Like, you know, rather than have a true, oh, you just rest. Well, you don't have to completely rest. You just have a recovery day. Like, you know, you can do something very... Uh, low impact, low aerobic activity, but you're still creating a physiological response to like mitigate or offset some of the, the stressors that you imposed on yourself from the previous or prior uh, mm -hmm. workload. That's cool. I feel yeah. like all I got from that was that I need to do more cardio. <laughs> 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 but, but, you know, but the cool, I mean, look, you can even do like, like, I mean, cause I know you do, you can do farmer carries even and, like again, med ball throw it. Like you can do anything. All that matters really is that your heart rate isn't super off the charts. And really, like, again, you could do the RPE for sure. Like you want to be at around a five out of ten, but you can also do heart rate and be around one twenty to uh, one one fifty. No more than one fifty for for heart rate. More than that is a little bit too much. You're starting to um, work a little bit too hard, and the intensity is too high, and we don't want the intensity high. Uh, and then the work session um, from a volume perspective is 30, 60, or 90 minutes, um, typically no more than around 90 minutes. But you know, Joel Jameson has a really good book, uh, which is really, really good. MMA, um, some, uh, MMA something. It, it said the title's MMA, but it's not really like just for MMA fighters. Like it's more so just like how do you understand and develop your principles and concepts for uh energy systems and, and like what are certain methods that you can implement uh but it's a really good book the ultimate mma conditioning yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's what it is yeah by joel jameson he's the man he has some really 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 good stuff uh so that's where i, I look at a lot of a lot of his stuff dude it's interesting you bring up uh carries because that's one thing like switching from like true uh, powerlifting type workouts to like strongman. Right. Like strongman is a completely different sport. Like there's so much more conditioning that's involved in that. And so at the end of our workouts, we always like we train four days a week, 
and we always do some sort of carry. So like one day it's like kegs, uh, like heavy kegs. One day it's like light keg overhead. Um, every Friday we do rounds with a 200 pound sandbag. And then like every Saturday we do farmer's carries. So it's like, we, we get like a little bit of that in. Um, we probably need to work on like increasing the dosage a little bit, but yeah. we also try to keep our like rest down to like less than 90 seconds between like, you know, bouts of like triples working up to like a three rep max or singles working up to like a one rep max and and then up in the volume with like a lot of our uh, assistance work. So. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I love it. it. I mean, it makes sense, right? I mean, because if you, like if you do that, and I'm sure like on your competition days or whatever, like, and even when you're training, like the, when you're trained, you're going sympathetic. So, and then, okay, I train. And a lot of people think, oh, when I'm training, like I'm getting stronger, I'm getting bigger. Like you're not getting stronger or you're not getting bigger. Like you're, you're depleting yourself of resources. But you have to do that because you need to disrupt homeostasis temporarily. And then you recover and you adapt. So if you don't recover, then you won't really adapt or you won't adapt sufficiently or, or how, as fast as you want to. But in order for you to recover, you need to go a little more parasympathetic. Otherwise, I'm just going to be sympathetic, sympathetic. I'm going to continue to deplete my um, my resources. So if I'm more aerobically fit then or have an aerobic base, then I'm, I'm going to experience a, a smaller sympathetic response um, when I encounter that, that same stressor. Um, so, you know, because if I'm anaerobic uh, or alactic, lactic, then... Uh, that's going to be more like sympathetically, you know, aroused and I'm using like type two fibers and I'm thinking like, oh, I'm sprinting from something like, you know, from a primitive standpoint uh, versus like aerobic. It's like I'm chilling. I'm at ease. I'm good. You know, I'm walking around. Things are OK. So I'm more, parasymp I'm more parasympathetic and now I'm recovering. I don't know if that makes sense. It makes okay. sense in my head before I said it. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it actually it makes me think of a, a quote. Uh, Plus work plus rest equals yeah. success yeah seriously and, you know you gotta have you gotta have that uh, opportunity to kind of bring things down a little bit to, to like you said get that adaptation response and, and get right. stronger or whatever um, whatever it is that you're doing uh, but it also it kind of it kind of makes me think of uh, something we were looking at your Instagram the other day and there's just a bunch of different quotes and stuff that you have posted up on there which are awesome by the way but one of them was that uh, this is from you uh, keep withdrawing from the adaptation reserve and you owe a big fee yeah is that kind of along the same lines or, or what's what's your yeah. uh, thought behind that yeah it is I mean that's really everything like that I just love stress stuff. Like I love um, like pain. Like I don't like you're I don't, a masochist. Well, I love pain. Yes. Uh, <laughs> like I love the pain science stuff. Right. It's really cool. I love it. Um, but I'm finding that I actually like stress science probably more because it's like it just resonates with me. It actually will allow you to. Um, help out with the pain that people are having as well. And I think it's something that's super overlooked and we're not really talking about as much as we should. And we can really make a huge difference in people's lives. But in regard to that quote, yeah, it's like people drawing from the adaptation reserve, you know, or a big fee, like the adaptation reserve, think about your body as like a bank account really, or a bank. 
And so if I think about it like that, it's like, all right, well, if I, if I want something, if I want to buy something, then first I have to have money available in my bank. And so then I withdraw and I, pur- I make my purchase, right? And so what happens, though, if I keep withdrawing over and over again and I never really put anything back in or I never allow my, my bank account to um, enhance or improve, then I'm going to get some type of a late fee, right, which we don't, we don't want a late fee. So, and I'm going mm-hmm. to owe a big fee. And so the same thing is with the body. Like if I keep withdrawing, then I'm going to be in a recovery deficit, because all I'm doing is pulling with resources. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, it's like I'm never going to get stronger, or bigger, or faster, or whatever it is that I'm trying to obtain, whether it's biomotor qualities or whether it's just physical attributes that I'm trying to, to obtain. So, because my body doesn't care about making me stronger or bigger if I don't have the resources available. It just cares about making sure that I can survive and stay alive. So it's not, it's not like, hey, yeah, let's go get big biceps mm-hmm. when I'm, like, stressed out and I didn't sleep and, you know, I didn't <laughs> feel myself well or my nutrition is off or I'm constantly going high intensity every single day. So we got to start to make those deposits back into the body. And those deposits are things like the having recovery days or the nutrition or the sleep or um, yeah, things like that. And so then we, you know, we allow ourselves to adapt and respond appropriately. Mm-hmm. How how do you um, approach a, a client or a patient that I guess is just has it in their head that if they they need to work super hard uh, all the time in order to like get better and that you know they kind of work themselves in the in a circle where they keep like trying to um, not giving them any like recovery time? Do you do you find yourself going to like this quote and explaining that, or do you find like different strategies? I do. Yeah, I do that. And because those, yeah, it can be challenging. Right? It's, I mean, it, it depends on the patient as always um, in regard to which strategy am I going to use or, you know, thinking of an analogy on the fly. But yeah, I mean, for those people, it's like, okay, I don't, I try not to with any patient, I don't, I don't really like to take things away, mm-hmm. especially on the first visit. Um, you know, because they don't, they don't like that. Because we've all had, you know, that patient that comes in from seeing another clinician or healthcare provider or whatever it may be, and they're like, yeah, I was told not to do this for forever. And, like, you know, I really love, like, I love running, but I was told by such and such not to run. So, and they, they get down psychologically. That's not good from a mindset standpoint. And so I try not to take things away mm-hmm. uh, from them. And I'll say, hey, go ahead and keep doing your activity. Maybe, though, we just uh, either modify what you're doing and or maybe we start to implement uh, some of this aerobic work. But, hey, guess what? Um, the aerobic work doesn't have to be something that's boring. Like, if you don't like to just run and go for 30 minutes or, or whatever, like, we can develop other strategies that still make you feel like you're getting a good workout, but you're not going super high intensity. And I guarantee you that this will, this will help out a lot in the long run. Um, but, you know, if you're, you're here for a reason to see me, and, and you know, I'm here to, to make sure that we're allowing you to achieve your goals. So I'm here to just kind of facilitate and be a coach for you. And so, you know, that's kind of the way that I'll go about it. And a lot of times if I'm, you know, honest um, about things, then they, for the most part, people are very open to that because they want to get better. Because obviously, something that they're doing isn't working as well as they thought they would. 
Hmm. So they're, they're typically pretty okay for that. I think really honestly it's a big thing um, up front with the initial eval and people are, are open because they want to get better or get back to um, you know what they were doing beforehand. So, so honesty really is the best policy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it is, man. You know, but you got to be strategic about it, right? Because, I mean, you can't be super, super honest because then you're being, like, too blunt and it's like not everybody responds well to that you know, with communication. So, you know, you got to slowly kind of figure out, okay, how am I going to interject this concept or how am I going to uh, tell them about this, right? Because even that's even with, like, the pain stuff. Like, somebody comes in and they're like, oh, my SI joint is, like, out of alignment. And, like, honestly, like, if I were being honest in that, I would be like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, it's not, <laughs> you know, but I can't say that. So, you know, I listen to them and, and uh, you know, I kind of um, – in a, in a way, like, reaffirm their beliefs in a sense. Like, just, okay, yes, I, I understand, I hear you. But then slowly start to interject and, and pose questions that make them think and develop the answer on their on their own. And now they're able to self-reflect and say, oh, okay, yeah, I see. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's kind of how I'll do things. And because otherwise it's just, like, too much up front and they don't like that. And so then they hold on to their thoughts or their beliefs even stronger and you can't get in. To, to make a change. You know, cognitive dissonance is all it is, really. So is, is honesty really a policy or is it a procedure? What would what would healthcare administration class with Denise uh, <laughs> qualify that? I know, right? Yeah, that's a, ooh, man, that's a tough one right there. Oh, man, that's very funny. I don't know, man. What would you say? I don't know. Is it a I think I'm going to go with the classic PT school answer of it depends. <laughs> That is right. That is. We always say that. It just, yeah, it just depends. It's it's so true though, because I mean, like, you learn all this stuff that's like by the book in school, and then you get to the real world, and like, how many patients do you actually have that, like, have a typical presentation? Right. None. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I mean, that's just like that's just if you look at it from like a biomedical model, right? But you start throwing in other variables like the psycho and the social. Mm-hmm. And then, like, nobody looks like a, a typical case on a piece of paper. Right. No, I agree. Yeah. Because it's all, we have different behaviors, really, at the end of the day. That's all it is. So, yeah, it's the, it's the psychology of it, like you said. Um, everybody's so different. And, and our systems are too, like, as a human organism, are too variable. It's too many different things that are influencing are uh, influencing what the patient is presenting with and influencing the treatment that we implement. And so and then we get into this whole thing of, oh, well, I'm doing X, Y, and Z treatment, and that's why my patient got better. Well, maybe not, because we don't know everything else that they went through. Or, you know, it, it's just it's so many things that we're not really able to take into account that could have been the reason why the patient got better or why they are having pain or why they're seeing you you know so because it's too complex really the body is, is very complex so it's, it's it's not something we can say it leads to like this linear algorithm it's it's interesting you say that how have you ever like listened to like any like michael ray stuff i have not the, okay michael ray yeah i'm a, I'm, a, I'm putting that down right now though 
so he's a he's a Cairo down in Harrisonburg. Okay. Yeah. And he he runs a Shenandoah uh, Valley Sports Performance Clinic, mm-hmm. and um, he he's like real big on clinical athlete. Right. If you're familiar with that at all. Yeah, absolutely. And um, him and Derek Miles did a, a course I went to last summer called Scientific Principles of Sports Rehab. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, so one of one yeah. of their big things and that that Mike um, like hits on quite a bit is that the concept of like regression to the mean, right? They're like regardless of what injury that you have, your body is constantly working to restore your like homeostasis, like, your normal level. So the fact that you um, do anything doesn't it doesn't truly matter what you do you could do anything and somebody would get better yeah. because their body is going to heal over time and they're going to you know re- get back to that like that sorry words get back to the to the mean or like that resting level right i definitely so like i agree and then though you know some people will be like oh well that's not true like you know they just don't they don't want to hear that because they they want to think that what they're doing is expediting the process or it's like, you know, yeah, what What are you talking about? There's no way that they're just going to get better on their own. Like, no, people, the body heals. Like, you know, what did you think they did years and years ago? You know, like, no. But the hard part with that is, I mean, you get those people that have, like, those deep-rooted beliefs that, you know, their back is fragile or if yeah. they bend, it's going to explode. Right. And you get stuff like that that complicates that whole healing process because then you get more of, like, you know, the psycho and the social aspects mm-hmm. and it's no longer just the bio. Right. But um, And then in the same realm, like, you know, you could do things from a clinical standpoint and maybe won't, maybe it doesn't speed up the overall healing process, but you could like maximize somebody's, um, you know, like kind of like guide them a little bit more efficiently through it. Or in the case of working with athletes, like you can train around specific injuries so that your overall training level doesn't like fall off too much. But at the end of the day, like, you know, those natural healing timeframes are what's going to determine like how quickly someone gets back. Yeah. I mean, um, that, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I, uh, I really do. It's a, you brought up a really good point. Actually. It makes me think right now. Yeah. I mean, I, I like that. It makes sense, you know, cause <clears throat> even if we don't expedite or speed up like the physical aspect, maybe we can help to challenge or change the physiological or the, the psychological aspect and improve their overall mindset in the meantime, which I think is, really huge um when people have some type of injury so because all we're i feel like all we are really trying to do is just make sure that we allow the system to be less threatened right so people can now start to explore and to move into different positions and and movements uh without deeming that position or movement as being a threat to the body so that's really, I feel like that's really what we do. Like, how can we allow the nervous system to be at, to be more at ease? And then how do we challenge or change emotions, really, at the end of the day? Like, I think about it like I'm trying to instill confidence, and, uh, some level of competency, and then uh, capacity. Like, that's what I'm trying to do. Confidence, competence, capacity. Yeah. 
I like that's that. my those are my principles. Like that's yeah, like confidence. How do I increase confidence by communication and by having them do things that they didn't think they could do um, before, or things that they did think you know that they were able to do before, but now they're able to do them again. So now their confidence increases and they're moving better and they're not apprehensive and they feel better about themselves or uh, you know competency to me is like um, with certain things. Right, because there's a level of it to me, like because movement is variable. I don't need to look for this ideal, perfect movement, um, but there's a certain level of competency that I need to have with maybe I don't know somebody's doing a lower body movement, a squat or a deadlift or whatever it may be. Like there's some, a few like key movement indicators that we kind of need to have, um, and then uh, capacity. Like capacity to me is just like how much work can I expose myself to or can I do before I start to tax the system in a negative way and now my resources are being severely depleted and my movement is being altered to a point where it's, it's placing uh, negative stress in certain areas. So if I, if I increase confidence, competency, and capacity, I think that goes a long way and a lot of people will end up getting better. But some people won't get better because some people, I mean, it's just not everybody that you see is going to get better. But, you know, you wouldn't really know that from Instagram, from some people's Instagram, because it seems like they're like just amazing or something. <laughs> that's so, that's so true, though. Like you, 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 you get into this, uh, this health, this field, uh, thinking that you're going to be able to help everybody and, and make everybody feel better. But the, like you said, the reality of the situation is some people that, you know, you could try everything in the world and it's still not going to change as much, you know, right. and that's, that's a tough thing to swallow. <laughs> but. Right, it is. It's just like, hey, well, we just got to get help from somebody else. Like, mm. I'm, I am either missing something or I am missing my way in with the patient. Like, I'm mm. not delivering something to them from a communication perspective or I'm just not, I'm not emotionally connecting with the patient because we have to emotionally connect with the patient like you have to or the the reality is they're not going to get better or it's going to take a long time because you know i mean we know the research like yeah, if you like your pt like a lot of times you'll get better but yeah we have to emotionally uh connect with them because um, you know I, I say emotions are action potential for behavior and if we can change behavior we can change you know, movement and outlook and the competency. So I think that's a big thing. So you thing. just mentioned a lot of like really, really key things about like how to be an effective therapist and how to, how to create like an effective mm -hmm. therapeutic alliance with your patient. And I think the big thing that you keep hitting back on is, is just communication and how to, <laughs> how to be an effective communicator and how to like dose, you know, your education and all that stuff effectively. Um, but I feel like that's, and, and I mean, like, let me know if, if this isn't quite what, what you what you felt, but I don't I don't know that like that was really touched on in PT school. Like, I don't think that anyone really like. I mean, we had we had moments here and there, but I don't know that communication was and like effective communication was always at like the center of what we learned. Um, right. And so, like, how would you recommend for like you know anybody out there, whether it's a clinician or student, um, but anybody listening, like? What would you recommend? How would how do you get better at communicating? Yeah, so, um, yeah, the fun, it's like a lot of you know they have a lot of books out there like communication and 
how to improve conflict or how to improve, like just whatever, you know, just certain concepts and topics pertaining to communication. And I'm not really like big into those. Some people like them and they find them to be effective and beneficial, but I think the, the best thing is to like literally practice. Like if you're in school or if you're in your clinical rotations, like literally practice the communication part. And that's what instructor, instructors should be um, a little more, I guess, uh, hard on, on grading or, or whatever when it comes to the communication standpoint. Like if I'm doing like a mock um, assessment or eval with students, like, yes, I care about how you're doing the assessment. And I think the biggest thing though is just how are you communicate and then what cues or tips or things can I give you so that you can improve upon that but everybody's going to have to find their own way of how to communicate you got to you know still be yourself but there's still certain um, again like just invariables that everybody I think should kind of have mm -hmm. and a lot of it starts with simple things like eye contact or if somebody's coming in with like this persistent pain and they're just you know you can just tell like psychologically they've they're just so like upset and distraught and like, you know, leaning in a little bit, like to show them like that you understand, right? Or like having a, like stuff like, it's like small little subtleties of it that it's like, in a way it's kind of hard to give all the examples or educate unless you really expose yourself to it and you practice and practice different scenarios. But for me, I think it, you know, it's, it's like finding certain experiences and then reflecting on those and seeing what could, I have, what could I have done to improve upon that particular encounter with the patient, right? Uh, I think if you don't do that at least once a day, then like, something's wrong, like you're missing the boat. And not just communication, but overall, like self-reflection as a person and as a, as a clinician. Um, but for me, the big thing was like, yeah, so I worked at this, when I first got out of school, I worked at a, a small clinic and a doctor of osteopathic medicine owned it. And we just had really, really different viewpoints. And so he uh, he was very, like, very into posture and position and uh, very into, like, alignment more so than anything. And, uh, you know, he would order imaging. Because, again, a DO can do everything, you know, that an MD can have, really. And so he was more in the physical therapy, musculoskeletal aspect of things. And so um, great man, but we just didn't see eye to eye. And I vividly remember one patient who, she was young, I don't know, maybe in like her like young 30s or something, and very, very active, and she was having hip discomfort, and so he orders x-rays, which he, he does that for every freaking patient, and so she comes in, and he's reviewing them with her in the room, and he's talking about, oh my gosh, like, yeah, well, you see this here, this is really close, it looks like, this, like, a, like you got some arthritis in there, you might have a, a, a pincer, and like he shows her on the skeleton, like, this is what a pincer is, and like, you're really, you know, your hips are like, re like really looking bad. And you know, I hear, you know, a lot of people are like, oh yeah, like, I hate when physicians say to my patients, like, X, Y, and Z looks really bad, or it looks like a 70 or 80 year old, I'm like, like a lot of people never really heard that, but I literally heard him tell her that, and and he was like, "Yeah, you got to stop like rowing because she did like a lot of rowing. Uh, you got to stop rowing and you got to stop with those squats, or otherwise you're going to end up with a really big problem uh, really here soon." And I and I was looking at her, and she she looked distraught, 
Like, she looked so upset just by the information and the way he was delivering the information. And it was wild to me. And that is when, I guess for me, it was just like, okay, I got to, like, this This is not right. It should not be like this. And And I started to really dive into just, like, communication and pain stuff. Yeah. That's tough. <laughs> um, so, yeah. It was wild. It was wild. Our words are so powerful. Yeah, I mean, they are. They really are. Words are, semantics matter, yep. really. Yep. Like, they really do. Like, they, people are like, oh, they're just semantics. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, it's tight. You know, it's, it doesn't matter. You can say that word. It's, like, yeah, I mean, but for certain people, you have to assess the situation to, and see or determine, hmm, how, how much do I need to really... Um, alter my, my word choices or my com- communication with this patient. And it's not just people that have chronic pain. Like, that, I hate when people, it doesn't make sense. Like, no, it's not just for, like, how do people, where do they start off, people that have chronic pain? Mm-hmm. At one point, they had to have acute pain. They didn't just like, oh, I just, I got chronic pain today. Like, no, they, they had the initial encounter and they went to seek advice or get help from somebody and then the initial encounter or the one after that or whatever led, you know, there was probably some type of words used and then that started to uh, get stored in the brain and the limbic system and they started to have these emotional connections with it and their behaviors changed based off of the the word choices used. So it's not just like, oh, we got to be careful what we say to people that have persistent pain. Like we need to be careful with what we say to people that have acute pain as well because hmm. otherwise we'll lead them down the route of having persistent That's so true. I guess I hadn't really thought about that from that perspective before, but it makes sense. Somebody doesn't just have chronic pain. And it, it, yeah, it kind of like progresses and develops over time, which I, right. I guess makes sense like looking, thinking about it now, but I, I guess that's just not the way that I had looked at it before. So I appreciate you. you know. Yeah, no, I just thought of it like not like some months ago. I was just thinking, you know, again, just thinking about stuff. And I was like, wait, like, no, I need to like be mindful of what I'm saying to people. Like that somebody can come in with an acute ankle sprain or something, you know, like something very simple. And the words we like, oh my gosh, your ankle, this is horrible. This is a grade three and grade threes, you know, are really bad and you probably will never be able to play again and your ankles are really weak and it probably happened because your glutes aren't mm-hmm. firing because and we really got you know, like, okay, and now they can that can start to be something that potentially turns yeah, into yeah, yeah. chronic pain as well, maybe. I don't know. That's one. That's one thought that like I have all the time, is like, cause like Mike and I, our whole thing is we're constantly trying to like, you know, get better, learn stuff from people, like change our communication skills, change how we frame interventions, mm-hmm. change how we dose things, to kind of like, you know, just be better than we were yesterday. And that's that's like one thing that I always struggle with is like just that constant reflection, like, did I make something worse the way that I framed that to a patient? And I can't help but think, like, sometimes, like, you know, even even though I'm trying to, like, not create some sort of, like, nocebo, like, what if I actually am? Like, am I, am I making it worse than, than what it was before because I tried to educate somebody or, like, change how they perceive something? Yeah, that's a really good point. It's funny. Yeah, it's funny you say that. I think the same thing sometimes too. I'm like, uh, am I like, I don't know. I get. I don't know if that's what you mean, but sometimes I'm like, am I overanalyzing it, or am I like, is it 
like is it that serious right now at this point for this patient? I don't know. It's like sometimes I'm just like uh, I don't know. Maybe I need to just change the way I communicate with the patient on the next encounter that I see them. Uh, but you know, a lot of times what I've started to do too, just to be sure of what message they actually uh, got from what I said, is I'll, I'll say, "So does all that make sense?" I'll say, yeah. And I'll say, can you explain to me kind of what we talked about today? And and can you just kind of tell me how you're feeling? Like, yeah, explain to me what we talked about, but then t tell me, like, how are you feeling about the things that I said and the things we went through? And then the plan of action that we're going to take. Like, how do you how do you feel emotionally, right? And that gives me a lot of information as well. Like, oh, I'm a little nervous or I don't know. I'm not sure if this is going to work or, yeah, like I me, mean, everything sounds great. I'm, I'm happy. I'm looking forward to it. And if they're like, ah, I'm not sure, you know, we'll see how it goes. Okay, well, talk to me about what are you unsure about uh, and why do you feel that way? And then what can I do to maybe make you feel a little more sure? I'm not looking for you to be 100% on board because this is your first time with me. You've seen a lot of other therapists, so that's okay. That's fine. That's normal. That's, that's You're a human being. But uh, I want to make sure that we can kind of we can form this good allegiance and, and I can be the facilitator or the coach. So I want to make sure that I can, I can help you out. And so that stuff seems to work out too. I, li I like that. I like that too. The like viewing yourself as a facilitator, right? Like we're not, we're not this like, you know, Oracle or, or magical healer that people go to. And I feel like that's one thing that's like super pervasive in like our, our medical culture right now is just that like mm -hmm. a lot of people just, just, they just want you to fix them. Right. That's it, not how it works. It's not, it's really not. Not at all. Not at all. And I mean, like you can, you can do a lot of like fluffy feel good stuff. Like I can rub your butt for 30 minutes if that's what you want, <laughs> you know, but at the end of the day, like the ultimate goal is to help you just kind of like be your guide. Mm -hmm. So I think was it Zach Abor that uses like the tour guide analogy? Like I'm yeah. just here to, to yeah. be your tour guide on the you know the path mm -hmm. to success or whatever it is. Yeah, I love I, it. I love that I love that shift in, in in thinking of being more of a coach or being more of a facilitator or being a tour guide and not not trying to like perpetuate that um, you know, that model where we're like, we're the ones that have to, like, I have to touch you. I have to manipulate right. you. I have to do this because if I don't do this, this is, you're, it's, you're never going to get better. Yeah, exactly. Like I have, yeah. And it's like, because then when you look at that, I mean, you could go so, you can go so deep with that. Like what you just said, because then it's, well, you know, some of it, because I used to get annoyed and I'm like, oh my gosh, why is this patient? But it's not really like, it's not all you know, entirely their fault. A lot of it is just society and the things they see. And, you know, so a lot of that like plays a, a part into them wanting a quick fix or thinking things are going to be really easy. But then a, some of it is a therapist as well, like having this um, desire to really show their worth and to them in order to show their worth, it's like, let me display my talents and what I can do with my hands or, or how sciencey I can get when I'm explaining things that, and make it sound really cool and make it sound like, you know, I'm not just a PT, but I'm a doctor of PT, you know? So it's like, like, they don't care, like, you know? I don't know, I just, I mean, you can just get deep with it. And then it's like this whole, you know, whole bias thing as well, like when you're doing assessments or evals or whatever, and we, you know, we really hone on to these certain, 
we have like an allegiance to mm -hmm. certain methods and and want to like hold on to it as, as much as possible, and then we get confirmation bias type of uh, analysis or whatever you want to call it, and then we, you know, we, that's that's how we treat and that's how we view things, and we don't want to change. And if we're confronted with something different or opposing our beliefs, like, like no, that's not true, or well, you know, they got better from what I did. Well, now not only are you doing confirmation bias, but mm -hmm. it's survivorship bias. Like survivorship bias is just like, oh well, I am only like I'm I'm only going to bring up or remember the good things that happen or the good patients, but I'm not gonna remember the ones that hmm, what happened to like Susan that you saw two times or three times and never showed up? Like why did she never show up again? Right? Like what the you know what I mean? And you did the same treatment for her that you did for the other lady or other gentleman that got better, but you didn't mm -hmm. remember Susan. So you know, you're only remembering the good things, but not the things that didn't work out that well. You're not reflecting on those. So that's survivorship bias. And then when you get survivorship bias, it further harnesses your confirmation bias because now you're, you know, really looking for things that you think are important, but they might not yeah. even really be relevant. And then yeah. that's a whole other thing. So, yeah, I feel like we can talk for forever. What? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it speaks a lot to. Uh everything that you were talking about, about reflection and the importance of that too, you know, just taking the time out of your day being like, okay, did what I say, the way I said it, that work for this person or why didn't it work for this person? You know, just taking that accountability and taking a look at how you're, how you're treating and if it's being effective or not, or what you can do to improve. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's like, you know, I mean, sometimes it's for me, <laughs> one thing I can do to improve my communication immediately is to eat because my communication is horrible when I don't eat because my glucose is so low. And I'm like, what the hell did I just tell this patient? So you know, <laughs> let me get a quick protein shake or look at like, I'm good. I'm firing all cylinders. But if I am depleted, don't let me have an eval because it is going to be horrible. <laughs> I'm just, you know, I'm just being honest. Man. Truth. <laughs> Yeah, I just I feel like I just cannot think. I'm like, what is like this is what am I saying to this person? What this is horrible. <laughs> it happens so it happens all the yeah, time. Man. Just, I'm serious. And then at the same time, like like what you were saying, like the whole survivorship confirmation Sorry, bias. I've I feel like I'm I'm kinda like the opposite sometimes because I'm like haunted by the people that never got yeah, better. Yeah, I see. It's like this person, like, no matter what I do, how I try to frame stuff, interventions that I suggest they do, like, nothing changes. And it's just, like, I can't sleep at night because I'm, like, how do I fix little Susie? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and even within, like, just what I said there, like, I, I don't like that I said how, how do I fix little Susie, but how come little Susie can't get better? Right. Like, why, why isn't she adapting? Why isn't she, like, moving past this? And that's the stuff that, like, uh, just it irks me, man. No, I, I, that means you care, though, you know, and, but then it's, it's like this, it's this balance, you know, I was talking to, again, Mackenzie, who uh, went to Shenandoah with me, we were roommates, and um, really, really good PT, and, you know, we we're talking one day, and it's like, man, you can, like, we really, especially in physical therapists, we get, uh, what do you call it, compassion fatigue, like, we really get that, like, we're, we're, like physically, mentally fatigued and tired. And that's why burnout happens a lot. Not just from the hours, but like 
from the fatigue of being like passionate about what we do, but then about the patients as well and like wanting them to get better and placing a lot of uh, stress and blame on ourselves for them not um, having the outcomes that they want to know. So it's just trying to, you know, balance those out and knowing like, hey, we're just human and they're human as well. And maybe they didn't get better when we saw them, but hey, they could be doing wonderful now. Because like you said, things eventually heal. Maybe they just needed a little longer. Yeah. I like I like compassion fatigue. Yeah, that's so true. I'm going to start using that. <laughs> Mike, let's put that on a t-shirt. All right. Let's do it. It's on our, it's on our like list of a million t-shirts that we're going to make. Yeah. I like it. I like it. What else do y'all have? Uh, what did we steal from Josh Walters? He's, he's uh, pros- prospective therapy. Yeah, because his is perspective yeah. therapy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, so we're going to do prospective. Okay, there we um, go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> slightly change the spelling. Most people will pronounce it exactly the same. Uh, we, we had, like, just because we, we do, like, a whole bunch of quotes, we were going to do, like, a series of T-shirts where we, like, misattributed quotes to people and then just, like, I don't know, we would just, like, randomly put, like, a picture of, like, Abraham Lincoln, like, <laughs> all roided up with like a battle axe and riding like a eagle waving an american flag just like you know stuff like that i love it that's cool man that's fun good stuff so random question yeah what's your favorite movie oh gosh that is so hard oh my goodness dude i love movies like love movies so that is hard because i have so many um I would say top, so probably top three. One of them is, I don't know if you ever heard of this movie called The Five Heartbeats. Uh, that's not. It's like uh, The Temptations, but it's like, it's not a real group. Um, but it's it's like, oh, I just love that movie because I love music and I love dancing and it has both. And it's like the old like Motown type of stuff. But so I love that movie. I absolutely love uh, Friday Night Lights. I watch that every single day. Um, I don't watch the show. Such a good love, movie. Dude, my favorite part in that movie is when uh, what's his name, Preacher Boy, I think, is like when they were losing at halftime and he went in the the room and like started talking to them. Is it Mike Winchell? Um, this was like the I think this dude was like a lineman or like a a linebacker or something like that. I can't remember his name. Oh, um, did they call oh, him Rev or something like that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Like he's like into the church or something like that. Yeah. And, but he was usually pretty quiet, right? And so yeah. they were um they were losing at halftime before they got to the championship. This is the game before that. And um he you know, they were in the in the locker room and the coach was talking about what they need to do and everything and uh, what they need to improve upon. And like he was just pacing back and forth because he was so mad because they were getting crushed. And then like all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he just went off, and he was like, "What's wrong with y'all? Y'all playing like a bunch of girls." Which I hate. I don't. I don't like that he said that. But <laughs> he was like, uh, "Y'all playing like a bunch of girls. Y'all act like y'all never played football before." We went through two a days. They went through two a days in 110 degree heat. I want y'all to hit everything they get in your way. If the ref get in your way, you hit him too. I was like, "Oh my gosh, man! I just I love it." He just went off. I get cold chills every time I hear it. <laughs> Dude, the, one of the one of the other moments I love from that movie is just the halftime speech at the final game, right? Yeah. Where they talk about being perfect. 
Yeah. That always yeah. that in the music that goes along with it, just like yeah. oh. absolutely gets me that, yeah, right man. in the face. It's so good. And other than that, I just go for like like actors. Like I love Denzel Washington. I love Leonardo. I love Tom Hanks. Like if they're in the movie, I'm going to see it. So yeah. Wait, but you gotta give us the the third one though. You only give us two of the two of the three. Dude, I only give you two. The third <laughs> one would probably hmm. Third one would probably be uh. It's gotta be something with Denzel because I absolutely love Denzel. I would say Nate probably he got game. I think yeah. Okay. If it's not three, it's up there, but it's close. It's it's so hard. It, it, they fluck. They would probably. They just fluctuate. Like sometimes, you know, this is number one. It's, so it just like, they fluctuate. What, what about what about music? Top th- top three albums. Music. I'm. I'm uh, Miseducation of Lauryn Hill. Um, ooh, top three. Um, and then I'm gonna have to go with. Uh, uh, Tupac. Um, What's the album? Uh, gosh, I think it's um. I want to say it's Hail Mary. I can't remember the name of it right now for some reason. Uh, but I, I love Tupac. You know, everybody's like, "Oh, Tupac or, or Biggie." <laughs> I'm all about Tupac. Um, yeah, All Eyes on Me. I think is what it is. Um, and then uh, number three would probably be. That's tough. Probably. Hmm. Probably the Michael Jackson uh, Dangerous album. Yeah. I think that's what I'm going to roll with. Miseducation of Lauryn Hill, because I love R&B, and she's, like, amazing. Uh, Tupac, I think he's just, like, an amazing lyricist. All Eyes on Me, and then uh, Michael Jackson Dangerous, because he's just, like, he's the king of pop. He's the man. And I used to like, yeah, I just listened. I had all his albums, and somebody stole one of I don't know who, somebody stole one of them, so I'm kind of upset if about If you're that. listening to this show but, right uh, now and you stole Jared's yeah. album, please, please return yes. it to him. Yes. <laughs> it was, it, please do that, please. It was the This Is It album, so please return uh, Mackenzie? Um, <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Uh, but no, yeah, I used to like, man, when I was little, like, I would dance all the time. Like, I had, like, these pair of black shoes out on where um, when I would listen to his music and I would, like, try to, you know, do the same moves and all that. So, I, yeah, I love dancing. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Mike, do we have any other, like, I think- Tim Ferriss questions? Or- yeah, I think... There's a couple of good ones. I think we're kind of on this train of like listing things that you you like. So, are there any are there any books or things that you're reading right now that you're really interested, or um, you think anybody listening to the show would be interested to to um, read? Yeah, right now I'm reading uh, Why Do Zebras or uh, Why Do Zebras Get Ulcers or Why Don't Zebras Get Ulcers? Uh, is what it's called by Robert Spilosa. Why? It's about why don't they get ulcers? About, yeah. So. Well, I can't give it away, but no, it's, a, it's about stress. Really, it's amazing. Um, I forget what his PhD is in. I don't. If, I don't know if it's like physiology or 
like behavioral psychology or something, but basically he's an amazing writer, uh, very funny as well. And so the book really just talks about stress and all the different ramifications that stress can partake into the body. Um, it's, it's fantastic. And then he has strategies and things in there and, and ways that we can try to be better at um, handling stress. And like he puts in studies and everything. So it's like really, really good. Like I would highly recommend that book for anybody. And it just talks a lot about behavior as well and throws in some sociology stuff. But it's a good book. So I'm reading that and, uh, and then I'm reading the auto, autobiography of Malcolm X as well. So Usually I'll read my okay. next at night, and then I'll read Wild Zebra's Get Also. Perfect. Well, we'll make sure we put those in the show notes too for anybody that's listening, interested in looking them up. Y'all read anything? Cool. Uh, yeah. You want to go first, Jake? Uh, let's see. I just reread The Alchemist not too long ago. Um, I've been reading slash listening to yeah. uh, American Gods by Neil Gaiman, which I think they just turned into a star show last year. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. That's yeah. a really, really good book. And I have um, – he, he does a, a comic book that's really good too that I have all the, all the like, graphic novel adaptations of it uh, called The Sandman. Okay. Which is really interesting. Um, he's just a f- fantastic writer. And then I've been listening to Gary book or sorry Gary V's book, um, Crushing It, which is all about like social media management and stuff like that, and like how to like develop your business and get like wow. a online presence. Um, and then I've got like a stack of like a whole bunch of books I got to read, like Conscious Coaching. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, what's the? I've got the Daily Stoic. I read that in the mornings. Um, was it power? Power versus force. Power versus force. Yeah. Power mm-hmm. versus force. Yeah, that. Tools. That sounds... the tools of the tip. Tips of the Titans. Tools of the Titans. What's What's the one you read? Oh, I'm trying to remember the name of it. It's a Tim Ferriss book. Uh, yeah. uh Tribe of Mentors. Is what it was. Tribe of Mentors. I've got bats on my thing. Uh, there's a whole stack of them. I can't remember. Uh, what's the Daniel Kahneman one? Fast thinking, fast and slow. Thinking fast and slow. Yeah. And then I got a, uh, I got one from work about communicating with patients that I got to start reading. So I have a list of things I need to get to. Mm-hmm. I've got a few of those books on my shelf too. Uh, currently, right now, reading "Being Wrong: Adventures in the Margins of Error," which has been pretty good. Um, that one kind of talks a lot about just being wrong in general and why we tend to take it so personally <laughs> um, and how it's okay to err and be wrong uh, as because that's part of the learning process and getting better. So it's, it's kind of cool. That one's been a nice kind of reflection piece because at least in the beginning of PT school, I tried to do everything as perfectly as I could and realize that that's not possible <laughs> in general. And so it's kind of like a good like growth and just accepting uh, being wrong. It's not a slight uh, your personal being, but also just like a part of the process to improve. So that's been cool. 
Chair, did we lose you? We may have. <laughs> Wait, oh, no, he's back. I'm back. I'm good. There we go. Oh, he's back. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what happened? Oh, my gosh, man. Yeah, there we go. All right. We're going to go money right now. There yeah. it is. <laughs> trick right there. <laughs> That's too funny. Did, did, you, did you hear our books or did it did it drop out on you? Uh, I heard most of them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, heard, I, I, did, I heard most of them. I really do. I was only out for like, what, 20 seconds or something, if that, maybe. Yeah. Oh. Have you have you read any of the any of the stuff? That I have. We I've um, not read, but I've heard a lot of them and read a lot of the uh, synopsis. Of, I've heard about a lot of them. And then we've had like a lot of interns that have read them as well, and then they'll do a presentation on them, like conscious coaching. And so like they'll read them, and then they will present on it um, when they when they leave. So like, which is very helpful because um, certain books like that, like. Definitely reading it is amazing, but then also sometimes it's just like, yeah, give me like the, the, the nuts and bolts of it. And how can I like, implement some of the information? Mm -hmm. The the Dr. Turner need to know information. Yeah, yeah. Not, exactly. the, not the nice stuff. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, man. So that's, that's too funny. Yeah. I think my next book, when I'm finished with uh, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers, is going to be... Um, I just got a. Uh, what did I just buy? I just bought um, uh, Darwin's Charles Darwin book, Origin of Species. Mm -hmm. So I'm really excited to read that. I just like like evolution and like like behavior and psychology and sociology and all that stuff because it's just every it's really everything to me at least. You know, that's my bias. That's my bias and interest, but that's mine. So I'm looking forward to just reading that. That'd be sweet. Yeah, definitely. Well, cool. I think we're running out right. here. Yeah. I was going to say, all right, Mike, it's time. It's time. So uh, at the end of our show, uh, we have one question that we always ask all of our guests on the show. So, uh, yeah. yeah. So we here at the Moving Docs, we believe in always moving forward and all that you do. So based on all of your previous experience in knowledge, life, and love, the pursuit of happiness, what is one piece of advice that you give to anyone listening to this show to help them be the best versions of themselves? Yeah, I love that. Uh, that's really cool that y'all do that. Um, I would say, <clears throat> you know, for, and this is something that I tell all my students too, is like develop, like learn and develop your principles uh, as a person and as a practitioner rather than trying to, to develop your methods. Hmm. first and so you know when you think about methods they're like really just techniques or procedures and we can have like like I was saying earlier like these very dogmatic type of attachments and associations with them and, and you know we and then, and then we have like these myopic views and they limit our ability to develop as people or as clinicians but if we have sound principles that we've developed um which they, all those are is just like fundamentals and um, like there's like general law or truth really if you look up kind of like the definition then you know the methods will come but let's like learn how to develop your, your principles mm -hmm. and set your stage and your foundation as 
who you want to be and how you want to go about it as a person and as a practitioner and let the, the methods just kind of come later um, and everything will kind of take form and be great. So that's, kinda, that's my big thing. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. But I think that also probably speaks to the fulfillment of your job too, right? Because once you figure out exactly how you want to carry yourself and interact with others, right, um, then you can truly start to tap into the things that are important to you and how to how to have fulfillment in that too. A hundred percent. Yeah, it goes beyond just being in the clinic. It's like, you know, you know, what do you like? You said I think it was in your previous experience and like life and love and all like like pursuit of happiness, like all of that. Like it goes beyond just being in the clinic. It's like principles that you live by or like what's your motto or like you know who how do you want to be seen and what do you you know again what are your morals and your motto your principles like as a person or to your significant other or to you know all that stuff so i think really developing that stuff is should take priority over any type of method or strategy yeah it's solid okay <laughs> Yeah. Uh, warm and fuzzies. <laughs> <laughs> we really got to get into this video game because th this usually happens at least once a show yeah. where somebody will say something really profound like you just did. and uh, You get these like big warm fuzzies kind of going over you and you get this big goofy smile. Right. Um, so that's what I've got on my face right now is this big goofy smile. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I like it. I'm glad, I'm glad I was able to do that. Yeah. That's it's awesome. Cool. So. Yeah, Jared, we can't thank you enough for taking the time to be on our show. Um, if anyone's listening that wants to get in contact with you, what's the best way that they can do that? First of all, thank you so much for, for having me. It's been amazing. It's been really cool talking to you guys. And I know I went on a lot of tangents, so hopefully people don't think I'm too out there. But uh, you know, the, best, <laughs> the best way is Instagram, uh, Dr. J. Fit Boyd, or uh, emailing me at jfitboyd at gmail. Um, or rehab to perform uh, website as well. Perfecto. Sounds good. And we'll make sure we put those in the show notes for anybody that's interested in getting in contact with you, sending you messages and all that fun stuff. Um, so, yeah, thanks again for tuning in this week where we spoke with Jared Boyd, uh, PT, DPT, MS, ATC, CSS. <laughs> if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or have a topic that you'd like us to discuss, shoot us an email at tmdmovementdocs at gmail.com. Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Guys, remember, you got to put a booby in because he's trying to spin. <laughs> <laughs>